They are the harbinger of the festive season and seem to appear on shop shelves earlier and earlier each year. When done right, their buttery little pastry parcels bulging with sweet, juicy, plump fruits drenched in booze, spice, and citrusy flavor. Done wrong, they can be limp, claggy, and cloying. But one thing for sure, mince pies are the poster boy for Christmas in the UK. They are a dessert which transforms itself from a savory pie heralding the birth of Jesus to a sweet treat in the form of a little round pastry. So let's travel across the globe from the spice trade in Europe during the Middle Ages to the abolishment of Christmas and journeying to Prohibition America to find out the history and origins of this ubiquitous Christmas morsel, the mincemeat pie. Welcome to another serving of Seasons Eatings. If you head on over to SeasonsEatingsPodcast.com, you can subscribe to your podcast app of choice. There, if you can please take a minute and leave me a five-star review, I would greatly appreciate it. Reviews help others find the podcast and help me know that you are enjoying what I'm doing. And if you let me know you left the review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker as a personal thank you. Seasons Eatings is also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All the links can be found in the show notes. And finally, you can let me know how I'm doing, leave a suggestion for a future episode, or just say hello at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. For hundreds of years, the delicious mince pie has been enjoyed as a tasty, warming, and filling treat. Early on as a main dish, now most often to finish off a meal or to serve up as a treat. Warm, spicy mincemeat and the crisp pastry crust complement each other and also go beautifully with a spoonful or two of whipped cream or a cold scoop of vanilla ice cream. But that's not always been the case. Fruity, boozy little mouthfuls, mince pies will doubtless make an appearance on many tables this holiday season, making spirits bright. The diminutive treats are so omnipresent, it's easy to take them for granted. But they have a long history. Which saw them morph from hefty ground mutton goodies into today's dainty tarts. Pies as a culinary art form are old inventions, although they haven't always involved buttery flakery pastry. For many centuries, they seem to have been primarily shells of flour and water paste wrapped around a filling to keep it moist while baking. Mincemeat is a mixture of chopped dried fruit, distilled spirits and spices, and sometimes beef suet, beef, or venison. Originally, mincemeat always contained meat. Many modern recipes contain beef suet, though vegetable shortening is sometimes used in its place. Variants of mincemeat are found in Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Northern Europe, Ireland, South Africa, the United Kingdom, and the United States. In other contexts, mincemeat refers to minced or ground meat. Shrid pie has evolved over thousands of years, from a pie made from spice minced meat to the dried fruit minced meat that we know and love. Yes, meat. Literal meat. And lots of it, too. In comparison to the treats we're used to today, this seems perversely strange. But let's step away from the afternoon tea tray and instead imagine something more like a Moroccan pastilla, 
the pigeon or rabbit phyllo pie pastry studded with almonds, scented with cinnamon, and dusted with powdered sugar. Variations on pies like this were popular all over the Middle East, down into ancient Egypt, across the Greece, you get their spinach and golden raisins, and all the way to pre-Christian Rome, where spiced sweet meat pies were an integral part of the Saturnalia celebrations. Early mince pies fit clearly into this culinary lineage. Mincemeat pie was born out of practicality and religiosity. Around the 11th century, medieval cooks discovered that sugar was a powerful preserver for meat, already an Eastern technique, and meat and fruit coffins, or pies, were made. Thirteen ingredients were used for Jesus and his apostles. The Christmas pie came about at the same time when the Crusaders were returning from the Holy Land. They brought home a variety of Oriental spices. It was important to add three spices, cinnamon, cloves, and nutmeg, for the three gifts given to the Christ child by the Magi. In honor of the birth of the Savior, the mince pie was originally made in oblong casings, a coffin or cradle-shaped, with the place for the Christ child to be placed on top. The baby was removed by the children, and the manger, or the pie, was eaten in celebration. Mince pies, the word mince actually comes from a Latin word meaning small, soon did become a dish associated mainly with festivities, namely the celebration of the Christmas season. During the 12 days of Christmas, wealthy rulers and people often put on massive feasts, and an expensive dish of meat and fruit like a mince pie made a great way to show off one's status. Furthermore, the pies were often topped with crust shaped into decorative patterns. These pies were not very large, and it was thought lucky to eat one mince pie on each of the 12 days of Christmas, ending with Epiphany on the 6th of January. Over the years, as the pies grew smaller, the shape of the pie was gradually changed from oblong to round, and the meat content was gradually reduced until the pies were simply filled with a mixture of suet, spices and dried fruit, previously steeped in brandy. This filling was put into little pastry cases that were covered with pastry lids and then baked in an oven. Essentially, this is today's English mince pie. By the late 14th century, a recipe for a kind of mince pie had already made its way into one of the most oldest known English cookbooks, the form of curry. I refer to the form of curry, a medieval cookery book put together by the chefs of King Richard II, in my episodes about sugar plums and eggnog. The ominously named Tarts of Flesh were a decadent creation, with the recipe called for boiling pork, stewed bird and rabbit, eggs, cheese, sugar, saffron, salt, and other spices all piled into a pie shell. An extravagant dish surely meant to be eaten at times of celebration. Other tarts in the same book included figs, raisins, and similarly exotic fruits mixed with salmon and other meats. English recipes from the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries describe a fermented mixture of meat and fruit used as a pie filling. These early recipes include vinegars and wines, but by the 18th century, distilled spirits, frequently brandy, were being used instead. The use of spices like clove, nutmeg, mace, and cinnamon was common in late medieval and Renaissance meat dishes. The increase of sweetness from added sugar made mincemeat less a savory dinner course and helped to direct its use toward desserts. A cookbook from the mid-16th century 
that also includes some account of domestic life, cookery, and feast in Tudor days, called A Proper New Book of Cookery, declaring what manner of meats be best in season for all times in the year, and how they ought to be dressed and served at the table, both for flesh days and for fish days, has a recipe for a pie that sounds a lot like a modern-day mincemeat pie. To make pies. Pies of mutton or beef must be fine minced and seasoned with pepper and salt and a little saffron to color it. Suet or marrow a good quantity and a little vinegar, prunes, great raisins, and dates. Take the fattest of the broth of powdered beef and, if you will, have past royale. Take butter and yolks of eggs and so temper the flour to make the paste. Oliver Cromwell, the self-proclaimed Lord Protector of England from 1649 until 1658, detested Christmas as a pagan holiday, one not sanctioned by the Bible that promoted gluttony and drunkenness. Oliver Cromwell's Puritan Council abolished Christmas on December 22, 1657. In London, soldiers were ordered to go round the streets and take by force, if necessary, food being cooked for a Christmas celebration. The smell of a goose being cooked could bring trouble. Cromwell considered pies as a guilty, forbidden pleasure. The traditional mincemeat pie was banned. King Charles II restored Christmas when he ascended the throne in 1660. Although Christmas has been restored, mincemeat still has a few obstacles to overcome before it becomes one of our favorite holiday desserts. We'll find out who has the hate on for mincemeat after the break. One of the great things about creating a podcast researching the history of Christmas food is that I undercover other podcasts exploring the history of food outside of the Christmas season. One of my newest finds is Richard's Famous Food Podcast. Richard Parks III is a James Beard Award-nominated author, cookbook writer, and a host of the zany adventures in the form of an anthropomorphic pickle. He explores topics such as why we don't eat more bugs, the history of ingredients, and the ubiquitous Christmas pickle through a complex auditory adventure. You can find Richard's Famous Food Podcast wherever you download your podcast and on Twitter at Richard's Famous. Dip your toe into the brine. You won't regret it. In the mid to late 18th century, Mincemeat in Europe had been associated with old-fashioned rural or homey foods. Victorian England rehabilitated the presentation as her traditional yuletide treat. Mincemeat pie was given many names, including shred pie, mutton pie, and Christmas pie, and was particularly loved in England. But the Puritans brought a stop to the fun. Upon gaining power in the mid-17th century, they abolished Christmas and censured mincemeat pie along with other idolatries of Catholicism. And what's worse, colonial America did the same. For 22 years in Massachusetts, it was always winter and never Christmas. The pie's sullied reputation stuck, and even in 1733, a writer still lamented that Puritans invade against Christmas pie as the invention of the scarlet horror Babylon, the devil and all his works. Once the Puritans let their hair down in the 1800s, mincemeat pie came back in force and became a standard and cherished American institution at the turn of the century. 
A recipe for apple mincemeat appears in a 1910 issue of the Irish Times made with apples, suet, currants, sugar, raisins, orange juice, lemon, spice, and brandy. Over the time, mince oozed its way out of New England, south down the coast and inland via the river systems and canals. By the mid-19th century, it was a popular in every section of the country settled by Europeans. But it never quite shed its aura of theological dodginess, and throughout its long reign as America's monarch of pies, mince remained taboo for Protestant clergymen. Many men of the cloth actively sermonized against it. Perhaps none more eloquently than prominent abolitionist and health nut, Reverend Thomas Wentworth Higginson, who in 1860 described the pie as very white and indigestible upon the top very moist and indigestible at the bottom, with untold horrors in between. Mintz's bad reputation was also reinvigorated by the rise of the temperance movement. The Puritans' objection to mints in colonial times had absolutely nothing to do with alcohol. In fact, it was accepted practice among them to begin one's strenuously pious days with a flip, a toddy, or a phlegm cutter, or one of the several other traditional rum-based breakfast cocktails. But the evangelical anti-booze crusaders of the 19th century were a different stripe of zealot. We're talking here about people who declared war on backyard apple trees because apples could be turned into cider. So you can imagine how receptive they were to the argument that brandy was just a flavoring extract whose intoxicating content evaporated in the oven. Thus, in 1885, Marion Howland, Christian gentlewoman and author of the best-selling homemaker's manual, Common Sense in the Household, felt obliged to respond in print to the evangelical critic who harshed on her book, with its brandy-fueled mince recipe, as a work that stifled and sickened the Christian reader. When the 18th Amendment went into effect in 1919, the national liquor and catering interests began lobbying and lawyering hard to create a loophole in the dry law that would exempt the culinary arts. Liquor would again be legal for culinary purposes, though subject to regulation through a system of licensing. But, as with all similar exemptions to the dry law, medical, industrial, and ritual, much of the product earmarked for mince pies and plum puddings wound up on the black market. And mince itself could be retooled to be a camouflage liquor delivery medium. In 1919, the Chicago Tribune reported that the average alcohol content of canned mince samples on display at a trade show for the hotel business had spiked to 14.12%, offering a far more efficient buzz than legal near beer, which is measly 0.5%. I love pie, declared one attendee. Here's how, leered his companion, and they clinked their plates together like cocktail glasses. By the late 19th century, apple mincemeat was recommended as a hygienic alternative, using apples, suet, currants, brown sugar, raisins, allspice, orange juice, lemons, mace, and apple cider, but no meat. What about whale mincemeat? In the book, Swan Among the Indians, The Life of James G. Swan, based upon Swan's hitherto unpublished diaries and journals by Lucille Saunders MacDonald, Swan describes a Christmas dinner with a mincemeat pie using whale meat. On December 25, 1861, three Boston men sat down 
to a Christmas dinner in the trading post established four years earlier at the edge of the Maka Indian Reservation in Washington Territory. The traditional holiday was a welcome break from the unloading and distribution of a shipment of goods promised to the Maka by the treaty they had signed in 1855. James Swan, a periodic resident in Ia Bay, had, in the absence of the trader, prepared a feast of roast goose and duck stew, presenting for dessert a mince pie made of whale meat. The Indians, he wrote later, had bought him a fresh piece of whale meat months earlier that looked every bit as good as red beef. He had boiled it and cut it finely, adding chopped apples and wild cranberries, raisins, currants, salt, nutmeg and cloves, allspice, cinnamon and brown sugar. After packing it into a 10-gallon stone jar, he added a quart of New England rum and sealed it for future use. Would the traditional mince pie, he worried, be welcomed if the diners learned it was made from whale? Yankee mince meat was made from more domestic animals or venison. His fears were soon dispelled. The small portions he had cautiously served were quickly downed and second helpings demanded by all. It's hard to know exactly when meat was dropped from the mince pie. Eliza Acton's mince meat recipe in the Modern Cookery for Private Families in 1845 includes ox tongue, and Mrs. Beaton's Household Management of 1861 originally gave two recipes for mince meat, one with and one without meat, although later editions only include the meat-free version. But to its 19th and early 20th century admirers, mince pie was unquestionably the monarch of pies, the great American viand, an American institution, and as American as the Red Indians. It was the food expatriates longed for while soldiering abroad. Acquiring an appreciation for it was proof that an immigrant was becoming assimilated. It was the indispensable comfort dish dispatched to American expeditionary forces in World War I to reinforce their morale with the taste of home. Mince pie is mince pie, as an editorialist from the Washington Post put it in 1907. There's no other pie to take its place. Custard pie is good and so is apple, but neither has the uplifting power and the soothing gratifying flavor possessed by mince pie when it's served hot with a crisp brown crust. A 92-pound pie was given to President Taft in 1909, delivered in an oak case. Mince pie took on a few superstitions during its height of popularity, particularly for causing strange nightmares and homicidal yearnings. Factories churned out meatless mince pies in America, strengthening its popularity through wars and rations. In 1908, when a Yankee physician claimed mince pie was bad for America's health, the New Orleans Daily States shot back. The Republican dynasty at Washington may overthrow the federal constitution, the rights of the states, and pluck the stars from the blue field of the national ensign, but the mince pie will continue to be the nation's comfort and pride. Most remarkably, mince pie achieved and maintained its hegemony despite the fact that everyone, including those who loved it, agreed that it reliably caused indigestion, provoked nightmares, and sometimes afflicted the overindulgent with disordered thinking, hallucinations, and sometimes death. By the mid-20th century, the term mince meat was used to describe a similar mixture that does not include meat, but that might include animal fat in the form of suet or butter, but it also substitutes solid vegetable fats, making it vegetarian and vegan. 
Many recipes continue to include suet, venison, minced beef sirloin or minced heart, along with dried fruit, spices, chopped apple, and fresh citrus peel, zante currants, candied fruits, citron and brandy, rum or other liquor. Minced meat is aged to deepen flavors. With the alcohol changing the overall texture of the mixture by breaking down the meat proteins, preserved minced meat may be stored for up to 10 years. Minced meat can be produced at home, often using a family recipe that varies by region or ancestry. Commercial preparations, primarily without meat, packaged in jars, foil lined boxes, or tins, are commonly available. Mince meat is frequently consumed during the Christmas holiday season when mince pies or mince meat tarts are served. While the trend for mince meat pies slowed down after the mid 1900s in America, mince meat pies are still part of the holiday tradition in many other countries, such as Canada, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. There are 370 million mincemeat pies sold in Britain every year, and the number keeps climbing. That's an average for each Brit eating 27 mincemeat pies over the holiday season. In the Northeast United States, mincemeat pies are also a traditional part of the Thanksgiving holiday, sometimes served with a piece of cheddar cheese like apple pie. Even today, there are traditions associated with mince pies. When making the mincemeat mixture for the pies, for good luck, it should be stirred in a clockwise direction. You should always make a wish when eating the first piece of mince pie of the season, and you should never cut one with a knife. However you eat your mince meat, with meat or without, this tradition connects us to our past, warming our hearts and stomachs, and help us cherish the ever-changing holiday that is Christmas. Thank you for listening to this serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, Deezer, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Please, if you can, leave a review about the show so we can spread the Christmas cheer. Also, I would love to hear from you. Please send me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com to let me know how you like the show, suggestions for future episodes, or just to say hi. And if you let me know you left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker for your trouble, as well as my unwavering gratitude. And if you're feeling extra generous this season, you can buy me a coffee. Head on over to SeasonsEatingsPodcast.com and click on the little coffee cup. Each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. All music used in this episode is royalty-free, and used under the Creative Commons license.